you know what I forgot to do? I forgot to print up the words for Major, poor Major Bev, so she's up here trying to make it up as she goes. So that's entirely my fault. So I twisted my ankle this morning, uh, during, just before praise and worship practice, so I'm going to be seated sit down today. Hope you don't mind. That usually does mean, though, that I preach longer because I'm comfortable. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Daniel. Book of Daniel, chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. Uh, perhaps a familiar story to many of you, it's the story of the fiery furnace. Uh, growing up as a, as a kid, this was a story that was uh, very familiar to me uh, in as much as uh, I learned it you know, in, a, in a song, as, as most of the scripture as a, as a kid I learned. Um, learned it in a song, Seven Times Hotter was the, was the name of the song, and it told the story of these three lads uh, remembering that uh, these three gentlemen were in fact teenagers when they were stolen from uh, their home and taken, kidnapped by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, uh, taken to Babylon. You remember in our first week in this series, we talked about how uh, with Daniel, they decided to stand up against uh, the orders of uh, the guys in charge and that they said that they were going to instead uh, really follow the, the commands in the Old Testament and live according to uh, the way that God wanted them to live. And so this is the same three individuals that you'll find in that story. Uh, so this is the, the story of Nebuchadnezzar's gold image and the fiery furnace. Now you guys remember about Nebuchadnezzar, right? He's the most powerful man in the entire world. Uh, he rules an empire that covers the entire known world at this time. Uh, he is a, a powerful man. This is uh, the time before he goes a little bit crazy. Uh, and so with that, I invite you, if you haven't already, turn to Daniel chapter 3. And we're going to start here uh, in verse 1 and sort of go through this verse by verse. And this is what God's word says. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dara in the province of Babylon. And the first thing that you need to know is that this particular statue was 60 feet high and 9 feet wide. This was a massive statue made out of pure gold that this man set up. Um, if you've ever seen the movie Shrek, you know that the king in Shrek uh, decides he's going to build a huge massive building. Uh, because he is a very small in stature king. Uh, I'm not going to say that Nebuchadnezzar was compensating for something, because I don't really know, but there's only really a couple of reasons you would build a statue that is 60 feet tall and 9 feet wide, made of pure gold, and make everyone worship you. It's if you have an inferiority complex. And Nebuchadnezzar was such a man that he built this massive statue that he expected everyone in the city to bow down to it, Verse 2 says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, uh, the justices, the magistrates, and all of the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. We learned earlier that there was 120 satraps 
Uh, each one of those satraps had a province underneath it, and every single one of those had a regional governor, much like the mayor of a city, although they didn't have uh, autonomous power, they were responsible directly to the king. So you had all of these peoples, every single uh, magistrate, every single court justice, every single person in political authority in the entire kingdom was forced to come to this one area. Uh, rough estimates say that would have been between 25 and 50,000 people. Right? This is not a small gathering. This is a Super Bowl. All right? This is, if you imagine grabbing a Super Bowl stadium, filling it to capacity, and in the middle of the pitch, you have an idol that is built 60 feet high, 9 feet wide, pure gold of Tom Brady. That's what we're looking at. All right? I, I'm not a Patriots fan. You know this. I'm a Seahawks fan, but uh, he reminds me of the type of person that would build a 60-feet statue, 9 feet wide, made of pure gold of himself. It, he just strikes me as that kind of individual. I don't know. This is what happens when I sit down. I get far too comfortable with my jokes. So all these people come, and, and, they, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, verse 4, and the herald proclaim aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigoon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every type of music, please note that it did not say timbrels, because timbrels aren't a type of music. <laughs> every kind of music you were to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigoon, the harp, the bagpipe, even the bagpipe gets a mentioned. And every kind of music, all peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up uh, if you look around sometimes in this world, you're going to be faced with a difficult choice. And when you look at these three people, um, I found this quote, it's not mine, but this is from an, a, another pastor who'd gone through a, a long life in ministry, and he said this, you're either coming out of a hard time, you're in the middle of a hard time, or you're going into a hard time. The reality of being a Christian in a non-Christian world, the reality of being three Orthodox Jews in a pagan world, is that you're going to endure hardships. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that they were going to face hardships because of their faith. And when we look at hardships... When we look at what's happening in our lives, what's going wrong, um, really, if you look at this verse from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, uh, Peter is saying that we were tested genuineness of our faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says that throughout the entire book that we're going to undergo trials for the sake of our faith. Um, and so... Faith is going to be tested whenever it is. And what I want you to know is the title of this message this morning is a faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. A faith that is tested is a faith that is trusted or can be trusted. Uh, there are many things that we go through in our lives that cause trials. Uh, unanswered prayer, 
people beating you down with criticism, lost job, health issues, financial challenges, strained relationships, uh, discouragement and depression. There, there's many things that can happen to us in our life, in our Christian walk, that is going to test our faith. However, uh, faith that's tested is a faith that can be trusted. Amen? So we're going to look here and sort of just review a little bit and then, then dive into the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Maybe pull out a couple of nuggets for us to help us in our faith. So the review is this. King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the known world, king of Babylon, after conquering Judah, ordered the captives of the best and the brightest. And that included Daniel's three sh- uh, friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, who were most likely young teenagers. Uh, we went through this the statue here was uh, 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. This is a massive, massive statue, and we're going to be picking it up here, uh, just again, uh, a brief going over verses 4 and 6. When Herod proclaimed aloud, you were commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, tarragon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you were to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up, and whoever does not shall be immediately cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And so looking at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what we need to understand is that faith obeys God instead of following man. Faith, true faith, obeys God despite what man says is the right way of doing things. So we're going to jump here in the story to verse 16. Now, before we get there, the summary of the story is this, that some of those wise people, some of those magistrates, some of those people in authority, uh, some of the Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Uh, again, you find that just the fact of being Jewish, they are getting persecuted, and they declared that the king, uh, to the king that these Jews had broken their, uh, com- his commandments. And so verse 16 says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. They essentially, the king comes to them and says, hey guys, are you worshipping my statue or not? I'm going to give you one last chance. Horn goes off, let's bow down and start doing some worshipping. And they say to them, no, we're not going to do that. I want you to think about how easy it would have been to rationalize a different plan for uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How easy it would be to rationalize not putting themselves in danger. They uh, They could fake it. They could bow down to the idol but not really worship the idol. You know, you could keep your fingers crossed behind your back because that's the same thing, right? Like if you had, that's what I was taught growing up. If you have your fingers crossed, you can say anything, do anything, and you don't mean it. Like, that's not the way you were raised? Like, that's, you didn't do that as a kid? Fine, I did that as a kid. We'll worship just this once maybe and ask for forgiveness. How many times have you heard this one? We'll ask for forgiveness. It's better ask forgiveness than permission. Right? People say that. Again, maybe, maybe not you. You and I apparently grew up very differently. Um, besides, if we die, who's going to help all these people? If I die a martyr's death, who's going to bring people to Jesus? If I put myself in, in trials and tribulations, if I undergo suffering, if I do any of that stuff, who's going to point people to Jesus? We can rationalize plans rather than simply obeying. And they didn't weigh the pros and cons. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't make a pro-con list. I know some of you type A personalities. 
Make. Tina, tell me you've never made a pro and con list in your life. There we go. So don't look at me like I'm crazy. I'm just saying, I know my congregation. Some people do this. They sit down, they make a pro and a con list. These guys didn't do that. They knew that God was asking them to do something and they decided instead that they were just going to do it. And here's something that's interesting about this. If you're committed to serving God, Satan will give you ample opportunities to compromise your commitment. If you are committed, if you've made the stand, I'm going to do this, I'm going to behave this way, I'm never doing that thing again. Man, I'm never going to drink again, I'm never going to take drugs again, I'm never going to sleep around again, I'm never going to do this, I'm never going to do that. If you actually make a commitment to God, spiritually make a commitment, I'm not just talking happy new years, this is my resolution type stuff, I'm talking actual commitment to God where you get down and you say, God, help me with this, I'm struggling, I need you in my life, I need the power of the Holy Spirit to help me here, let me never do this again. Once you get to that stage, it is an almost guarantee that Satan is going to give you ample opportunities, ample opportunities to compromise that commitment. And if Satan doesn't do it, the world will. Because that's the type of world we live in. But how many of you have ever paid for patience? Don't do it. Don't do it because the old saying is, when you pray for patience, God doesn't give you patience. He gives you the opportunity to practice patience. That's the saying. I don't know if it's true or not. It feels like that sometimes. But Satan will give you ample opportunities to compromise your commitment, and so will the world. So will well-meaning family members. Right? I'm, not talking even, I'm, not, I'm not talking destructive people. I'm not talking people possessed by demons here. I'm talking well-meaning family members will sidle up to your ear and say, oh, you don't have to worry about that. It's not that destructive behavior. Oh, what's a glass of wine you know, at Christmas? You say that to an alcoholic. What? I can deal with one glass of wine during dinner. Why can't you? It'll be fine. Well-meaning people that maybe just doesn't understand. So Satan will give you ample opportunities to compromise your commitment. So will the world and so will uh, well-meaning people. And a story of obedience can often happen when others don't understand. No one, I'm going to guess, just a random guess. This isn't scriptural because it doesn't say this, but I'm guessing that There were people around Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who did bow down to the statue, who didn't understand what they were doing, who who, who maybe made some of those excuses, fake it, uh, just pretend to worship, uh, don't really commit to it and you'll be fine, just ask for forgiveness later. Maybe there were people around them that just didn't understand why they were being obedient. But faith obeys God instead of following man. Faith obeys God. There's lots of well-meaning people that are going to try and tell you that if you're a Christian, this is the way that you should behave. There's a bunch of non-not-so-well-meaning people that will say to you, if you're a Christian, this is the way that you're supposed to behave. My answer is always this. Measure it up against what Jesus said. If in doubt, Jesus is the right answer. Is that your son? Did you learn that in Sunday school? If you didn't know the answer, just say say Jesus because everything eventually comes back to him anyway, Right? No, you guys apparently were brought up in a very different world than, than I was brought up in. Just say Jesus. He's the answer to every Sunday school question. In this particular case, that's right. You want to know what Jesus said about loving someone? 
Do you want to know what Jesus said about forgiving people? Do you want to know what Jesus said uh, about struggling and keeping on and keeping the faith? Read the words of Jesus. Read the words of Jesus and hold them in greater esteem than someone else who is reading the Bible and interpreting it for you. Read the words of Jesus. You don't need to be a biblical scholar. You don't need to be a great theologian. You don't need to have a, a master of divinity or a PhD in biblical studies in ancient Greek and, Greek and Hebrew. Read the red words of Jesus and see what he says. When you're about to do something, when you're about to maybe uh, get into an argument on Facebook, figure out what Jesus said about loving one another. Figure, figure out what Jesus said about condemning one another when he said, it's not for your place to, to condemn, but it's mine. Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged, for in the same manner in which you judge, so too shall you be judged. People don't like the, the second half of that. They love the first one, judge not. That bit does actually hold up. Unless you're absolutely certain that you can't be judged in the same manner. If you're a gossiper, don't go to someone else and say, hey, you're a gossiper, stop it. Because you're going to be judged on your own behavior. Now, there is a difference between judging someone and holding them accountable according to the standards of Scripture. It's another sermon for another time. But if in doubt, go to the words of Jesus, because faith obeys God instead of following man. Faith believes in spite of what it sees. Faith believes in spite of what it sees. We read here, in continuing the story, if this be so, this is uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Faith believes in spite of what it sees. These three guys are literally standing next to an oven ready to burn them to death. On one hand, flame, death, burning. This was not a barbecue. This did not smell pleasant. Two years ago at Christmas, well, a year and a half ago at Christmas, my wife was making eggs in the kitchen. Or was it Major Bev? Were you making the eggs? Or the so One of them was making eggs, the other was making sausages. My wife opened up one side of the oven at the same time that Major Bev had the opposite side of the oven open. And because that's how thermodynamics works, a gust of wind went through one side, gave extra oxygen to the flame on Major Bev's side, and a huge spurt of fire came out Christmas Day, Christmas morning, 25th of December. The smell was terrible because, unfortunately, and she looks fabulous now. Like, you can look at her now. She's alive. She's here. She didn't die. We didn't have to take her to the emergency room. Calm down. My wife didn't kill her. But there was a smell of burning hair, right? You know that smell, right? It's not a pleasant smell. Have you ever uh, smelt burning flesh? Have you ever been near, near a crematorium and smell the, the whiff of the, the burning flesh? It doesn't smell nice. It's not something that says, mm, I want more of that. Let's bottle that and wear it as a fragrance. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing next to the fiery furnace. This is a common method of execution for the Babylonians. It would have smelled. They're standing right next to that, but faith believes in spite of what it sees. These guys, these three teenagers are standing next to that and they're saying, you know what, even though we can feel the heat coming off of that, even though we can smell the burning flesh coming off of that, even though we can see the flames jumping, we're still going to really um, (laughs) 
be a little bit mouthy to the king. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm a little bit sarcastic myself, but I think there's a time and place for sarcasm. Perhaps this wasn't the best one for these three gentlemen. But this is what they said. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. So no matter what I see, my faith says God is willing and able to help. My God is willing and able to uh, heal. And so when you see a bad medical report, my God is willing and able to heal. Um, It doesn't mean he's going to give it like that. It doesn't mean that it's always going to happen, but we know from Scripture that our God has the ability to heal. And uh, I was talking, uh, I hope she doesn't mind me calling her out, Nina, I was talking to her just this morning. She had the the surgery on her knee and she was praying. She told me that she was praying every day for the swelling to go down. And you know what? Swelling's gone down. Am am I right? If I tell the story incorrectly, uh, interrupt me and just shout out the real one. But that's our, that was our conversation this morning. God is willing and able to heal. When you see a broken relationship, uh, my God is willing and able to heal and restore that broken relationship. I, I believe that, that when you have a fractured relationship, if you rebuild build it, you can rebuild it with God at the center and it will be a stronger relationship than what you had before. Because if you build a relationship with either of the parties at the center rather than God, it's going to be a weak relationship. God makes the strongest of relationships. And this is true both in a uh, friendship term, but it is also true in a romantic term when it comes to husbands and wives. You want the secret to a successful marriage. You build it around God. You don't build it around one or the other. You don't turn one or the other into a God, which is what we tend to do in our relationships. We elevate people to the place where they take God's place in our lives and relationships, and it's, it's uh, destructive. But I believe that our God is able to see a broken relationship and bring healing and restoration to that relationship. In fact, to quote scripture, God says that he is willing and able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever hope or imagine. Can you imagine God healing you? Can you imagine God restoring a broken relationship? God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than you can even imagine. God is not limited by our feeble human imagination. These guys, they're standing next to the fiery furnace and they know that their God is willing and able to do more and more than they could ever hope or imagine. And right now, let's not lie, these guys are humans. They are hoping that God is going to spare them from the fire. Daniel didn't pray to be thrown to the lions. He prayed that he would be spared. Now, sometimes, more often than not, the way that God answers our prayers is not in the way that we anticipate and maybe not in the way that we want. I am absolutely positive Daniel did not want the terror of being shoved into a lion's den. Because for the first couple of minutes, you have to admit that he's probably wetting himself. Right? He's probably scared. Um, Have you ever been scared, like properly scared? Give you you another story because I'm sitting down and I can. Another story. Uh, Last time my mother and sister came to visit, they flew into the country... They decided on their way out they were going to do a day at Disneyland, a day at Universal Studios. They invited me to come down and do it with them. I said yes. I was flying in at night. My plane at SeaTac got delayed for four hours. And by the time I landed at LAX, it was 11.30 at night. The shuttle that I was supposed to take to my rent-a-car had stopped operating. 
So me, being an idiot, and being slightly proud, decided I was going to walk. 11.30 at night, through Los Angeles, through Inglewood, I made it three blocks before I found a hotel and called an Uber. I made it three blocks. That was properly scary, like heart racing. I'm not saying I needed to change my underwear. We were getting close to that stage. Heart pounding, sweating. I'm like, you wonder where my anxiety comes from. This is where I get my anxiety, probably. Have you ever been that scared? Can you imagine being thrown into a lion's den and then rolling the stone across the entrance, turning around and maybe just hearing the low growl of a lion? Not a roar, not a rumble, just that low growl that the lion is about to say, I know what's happening. I haven't been fed in a couple of days and now I've got Daniel. Right? Maybe, uh, maybe the refle- they had a, that, you know, in those days it would be a horizontal pit that they would have a stone grade across it because what's the fun of killing someone if you can't watch it happen? Babylonians were very cruel people. So there would have been some sort of light coming into the, the pin. Can you imagine seeing the reflection in the eyes of the lion? as the lion like opens his eyes and is like, oh, Uber Eats, delicious. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers in the way that we would think he would. For Daniel, I'm absolutely positive that when he's praying, he's like, God, don't even let me go into the den. Don't let me go into the lions. But God is like, no, because my power and glory is going to be proved a hundred times more if you do go in and you're unharmed. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego probably praying, God, don't even don't let them shove us into the fire. I don't want to experience any of that. Faithful obedience is our responsibility. The outcome is God's. Faithful, and I would also interject now, prayerful obedience is our responsibility. Not just blindly saying, I'm going to do what I want, when I want, and God's going to get on board because I'm a Christian, and that's what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that our, our responsibility is to faithfully obey Christ. In fact, our doctrine, doctrine number nine, says that we believe that a continuance in a state of salvation can, uh, depends upon continued obedient faith in Christ. Obedient faith is where so many people get tripped up. It's not about continuance in a state of salvation. It's about obedience that Christ demands from you obedience. And too many of us, with a, with when we think our heart is in the right place, won't obey, and we need to. Faithful obedience is our responsibility, and when we are faithfully and prayerfully obedient, the outcome will be of God. It has not been a secret from I think anyone here, that this core uh, over the last year has gone through some struggles in as much as how uh, the building is going. And, you know, we just seem to be running into one problem after another. We had a fire. We have uh, some things that I'm not allowed to... My my DC told me I'm not allowed to mention on Facebook. Uh, There is some stuff happening in the core. Uh, Things happen over and over and over again. But my wife was not exaggerating and, and... I'm sorry if it embarrasses John, but I, this is our family atmosphere. I call people out by name when I want to. Um, we've been praying for a contractor who will work on Lummi Island for the last year and a half. And every time we call someone, they say they're too busy. They say they can't work out there. They say the work out there is too expensive and they're not interested. Every single time for a year and a half, we get someone 
It has been a phone call of rejection. And after a year and a half of praying, that type of rejection starts to weigh heavily on the conscience to the point where you're starting to ask, is this actually God's will that we continue with this project? Because it just seems like he should be opening the door to now. And then suddenly someone walks in and says, not only am I willing, I am able. Not only can I do it, but I am willing to do it. In a couple of weeks, we'll be starting, or sorry, next week rather, we'll be starting our book of Esther. And Mordecai has a very famous line in that where he says, who knows that maybe God has put you in this place for such a time as this. I believe that this call is experiencing a revival and a resurgence and that God has incredible things planned for our ministry opportunities here in Bellingham, for our community here in Bellingham. And it seems like to me from the the, the 90-foot uh, pulpit view of looking down at this core that Satan is throwing every single thing that he can at us in order to derail God's vision. And we as a people of God, a prayerful people of God, have faithful, prayerful obedience in our God, and we are going to trust in the outcome of God, that it is going to be his will, his plan, his purpose for this community to raise up Christ so that people are brought into a knowledge of him. I believe that. I have to believe that. It is the only thing, I love you all, it's the only thing that gets me up in the morning and gets me into this building. That God's plan is greater than anything I could ever hope for or imagine. And look, God is doing it through you. He's doing a little bit through me. Like I stand around and make sarcastic comments most of the time. Anyone that you see in here during the week knows this to be true. That's what I do. But God is doing it through you, the people who are invested in this call, the people who are invested in this community, that want to see people saved, that want to see people served. That's why we're here. We're not here, believe it or not, to come and listen to the very uh, attractive and handsome and eloquent speaker once and every Sunday morning. That's not why you're here. You are here to serve and to love God, and we do that by serving and loving our community. And I think we do that well. But I'm saying I think we can do it even better. None of that was in the plan. Anyway, where were we? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, being mouthy. But if not... Be it known to you, they say to the king who rules the entire known world, who just built this golden image, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We will not do it. Because we will do what's right before God and trust him with the results. At the end of the day, if you do what God asks you to do, you need to trust him with the results. Look, this story is not a big deal because we know how it ends, but these three kids, these teenagers, can you imagine what they're going through in their mind? I'm fond of saying that the people in scriptures are not these great uh, historical figures, these biblical figures that we built them up to be. They're real people in real situations dealing with real problems. These three people thought that this was a death sentence, that they were about to be executed. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, seven times hotter. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind them and to cast them into the fiery burning furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, their other garments, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace. 
Because of the king's order was urgent and the flames overheated, or the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men fell bound into the fiery furnace. The king ordered the furnace heated. He got enraged. He got, these kids he thought were being mouthy. He is the king of the world. Literally, the king of the world. And they're saying, you know what? It doesn't matter what you do to us. It doesn't matter what you're going to punish us or how you're going to punishment. We're never going to worship you. We're never going to worship your gods. We're going to stay true to ours. And so he gets enraged and he orders his uh, stronger soldiers to to, uh, tie them up and throw them in. And those soldiers were killed because of how hot the fire was that they couldn't even get into the flames that they were killed throwing these guys into them couple of things stand out here. The face of the king was turned. I love that line. It actually appears a lot in Hebrew literature when someone's face turns. I'm not sure if you've ever experienced this. It's that, it's that moment when someone becomes enraged. Do you know that moment? Have you ever seen that in a person? Have you ever seen that moment? It was on my face in the second Super Bowl when you're two yards from the end zone on the second down, and instead of giving your ball to the best running back in the league, you decide to throw a slant pass, and it gets intercepted. My face turned from a very happy face to a face filled with anger. His face was turned. And what I gleaned from this is that powerful people don't like it when you obey God rather than them. Maybe even we don't need the word powerful there. People don't like it when you obey God rather than them, but God still requires you to obey him despite the consequences. But we know how the story ends. Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered him, well, yeah, can't you count? And he answered, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a sun of the gods. Last week we talked about a Christophany. Many scholars believe that this is also a Christophany. That in the midst of their trial of being thrown into this fiery furnace, in the midst of their execution order, that Christ himself, the manifestation of God, was with them. And I can tell you without a shadow of a hesitation of a doubt, when you are in your fiery furnace, Christ will be there with you. There was a story, I I don't know if it's true, it's one of those stories that gets used a lot from preachers and it probably has a a glimmer of truth to it, but I can't say that it's true. But a father whose son was struck and killed by a bus loses his son and he's he's in grief and the, the priest comes over to talk to him and says, don't worry, God is with you. The father says to the priest, Where was your God when my son died? The priest replies to him, he was in the exact same place when his son died for you. Too often we think that in our grief, in our despair, in our sorrow, that God has abandoned us, that he's not with us. I can tell you that in the midst of everything you go through, Christ is walking with you. I don't like the footsteps on the beach poem. I don't believe that God carries us. I believe he always walks with us. God wants us to rest into him, to lean into him, to depend on him. But we always, when we're going through suffering and trials, God is with us. 
I really need to wrap this up because I'm, I'm going over. But the end of the story, the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. Their hair on their heads were not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and there was no smell of fire had come from them. They didn't even smell like smoke. You ever gone to campfire at camp and sat and had the wind shake? You smell like smoke for the rest of the week. It, it clings to your clothes, it clings to your skin, you go back to your cabin, it doesn't matter how many showers you take, you smell like smoke for the rest of the week. They didn't even smell like smoke. They didn't bend, they didn't bow, because God, and because of God, they wouldn't burn. Guys, if you don't bend and you don't bow, you will not burn. That's not even a summation of hell. That's just literal, the hell that you have to walk through because you're human on a daily basis. The trials, the suffering, the loved ones dying, getting sick, being taken from us too early. The fractured relationships because you hold on to the faith in Christ and they don't understand it. The suffering of addiction that we see in our communities. We walk through hell all the time and I believe that Christ is with us in those flames. I don't believe that any one of us has to go through the fire alone. It's not only Christ is going to be there with you, but if we do this church thing right, really right, each one of us will be there with each other. In the times of fire, in the times of trial, if we do church right, your Christian brothers and sisters will be there with you, praying you, supporting you, helping you. Amen? Amen. Tell me that isn't the type of church you want to be. The type of church that helps each other. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Nebuchadnezzar has a come-to-Jesus moment. It doesn't last if you read the rest of the book of Daniel, but for right now, he's kind of having a come-to-Jesus moment. He realizes that their god is powerful, that their faith is is incredible and he is able to say that a faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted friends i don't know if god is testing your faith today if he's tested it in the past i don't know where you are or what's going on with you but i can tell you that if your faith is faith is tested it's a faith that can be trusted and that christ will be there with you through the fires Amen? And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for the example given to us by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I pray, Lord God, that each one of us can fully rely on you when our faith is tested and that each one of us can know deep down in our heart that when our faith is tested, that's a faith that can also be trusted. We love you and give you the praise today. We ask that you be with us and give us traveling mercies until we meet together again. I pray this in your son's precious name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. I believe Lenora is going to give us her, her closing benediction before we sing our choral benediction. Stand with me, please.